Well, hello and welcome home. I am so glad that you guys are here this morning. If you don't know me, I'm Scott Blount. I'm associate minister here at Vero Christian Church. And I am grateful that you guys are here with me live and in person this morning. Those who are joining us via live stream, thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget that thumbs up, by the way, will you? Okay. And uh, if, you're, if you're watching us later on or listening later on through the podcast, through our website at VeroChristian.com, uh, we are glad that you're here for today's message. And by the way, men, uh, happy Father's Day. I, I know nobody has probably told you that already today, so I won't let me be the first or second or tenth or whatever it is, but happy Father's Day. Hey, listen, when I was five years old, my mom uh, got divorced. And so I, I, being the oldest child, was the man of the house, all right? And a couple of years after this divorce, mom met this dude by the name of Don Blount. And I, I was keeping my eye on him, you know what I'm saying? Because that's my job as the man of the house, right? I mean, I was keeping an eye on him as close as any seven-year-old, I guess, could. But I have to tell you, it didn't take me very long to figure out that Don Blount was a man to whom I could look up. And he, he was the real deal. And before he got married to my mom, before he asked her for marriage, he didn't really come to me asking my permission for her hand or anything like that. But we struck up a deal. You see, he was going to take care of my family, and I was going to make sure he was doing it right. And so we shook on it like men right there and right then. And, and I got to tell you, man, it didn't take me very long at all to, to really know that Don Blount was, was the real deal. I mean, he didn't just love mom. He loved me and my brothers. And it was obvious by the way that he lived. And after a couple of years, we had the privilege, us boys had the privilege of being adopted by Don. And so now the family adventure was on in full. Dude, it was on like Donkey Kong, let me tell you. It was an adventure that was not for the faint of heart. Because, you know, when you're blending a family together, and many of you know this, it's, it's not always the easiest thing to do. But Don Blount, man, he was, he was the great example. He taught me how to be a husband and a father and a man. And for that, I am I'm very grateful. I got a picture uh, taken a few years back of Dad and me. Because um, let me tell you something. When people would tell me, gosh, you look a lot like your dad, that was the greatest exa- uh, uh, compliment that I could get. It was the greatest compliment I could get. If I, got, if I was looking like Dad, uh, hopefully I was acting like him too. And I just know that, that he called me to an adventure and said, come on, go with me. Because this adventure is not for the faint of heart, but I'm going to be right there with you. So, men, I think we all, you know, instinctively know that we have this desire uh, to be called to an adventure, to be invited, to get in on this. All right? We've got a natural desire to be valued and appreciated. <clears throat> I want you to make no mistake about it this morning. We are called to just such an adventure. We are called to just such an adventure. This past spring at the men's retreat, Kent Evans was the main speaker, and Kent is the founder, uh, co-founder, and he's the board chairman for Manhood Journey, and that's uh, a ministry that helps fathers and mentors build the next generation of godly men. And he's just the kind of guy that we want to learn from as we're trying to figure out how to do this man church thing the right way. 
Kent tells a story of his best friend, Dave Hare. Well, actually, a couple of pages into the chapter where he's talking about this in his book, Wise Guys, Kent confesses that it's not really a story about Dave. It's a story about Dave's dad, John Hare. Now, Kent hung out at the Hare household a lot as he was growing up. I mean, he and Dave were BFFs. And John Hare was a man who loved Jesus and loved his family and lived that way. By worldly standards, he wasn't known as any big, special, extraordinary, whatever. He's just a faithful guy to the Lord, living it out. So, Kent tells the story about after he had gone off to college, he received one day in the mail a letter from John Hare. Now, for the younger folks, okay, a letter. Let me explain that to you, okay? It's not an email, it's not a text, it's not digital communication. You actually, you take a piece of paper and a pen and you write out on the piece of paper. And then it gets really weird. You fold it up and you put it in this thing called an envelope. And then you stick a stamp on it. And you don't even have to lick the stamps anymore. You just peel it right off, stick it on there. And then you take it to this place called the mailbox. And you put it in and, and the U.S. mail will then send it where it needs to go. Now, I, I got to explain that for the younger folks because I can tell you, even my kids are like, yeah, I, I check the mail like once a month. You know, they don't even know, hardly know where the mailbox is. And it's right down, the, you know, in front of the house, okay? But he got this letter, okay? So let me pick up the story that he shares um, from his book, Wise Guys. He says this, I read the epistle a couple of times, and I saw that it had two main points. First, John wanted to thank me for being his son's friend. How many dads ever write that letter or verbalize that gratitude? Dave's dad did. Second, there was a friendly suggestion. John felt it would be a good idea for me to look into the idea of God, who he was and how much he loved me. I think he knew me well enough by that time to understand that I would receive those words well. But for me, the significance of the letter was in the fact that he had sent it to me in the first place. Nobody had required him to write me as far as I knew. He took time to thank me for being his son's friend. In that moment, I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to have a son who had a friend. And I wanted to write a letter just like this one to my son's friend. Now, guys, when I read that chapter in that book, I set the book down, and I got out some paper and a pen, and with my arthritic right thumb holding onto that pen, I wrote out longhand letters of love and appreciation to some friends of my sons. I wanted them to know how much I appreciated them. I wanted them to know the impact that they had made, not just in my son's life, but in mine, by the way that they loved my son. Oh, by the way, in the spirit of equal opportunity, I wrote one to a friend of my daughter as well, okay? So I sent them all out. In fact, this morning before I, I got to church, I texted all of those folks and said, hey, I'm going to be talking about you, not by name, but I'm going to be talking about you in my message this morning. I just want you to know again how much I love you and appreciate all that you mean in the lives of, and each one of them was tailored to the name of, of one of my children. Because, see, I want to be like John Hare. 
I want to be a man who loves Jesus and loves his family and lives that love out, even when it's not for the faint of heart. And Paul invites his young charge, Timothy, to just such an adventure as well. We're going to continue this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you want to take your Bibles or your Bible app and turn there, we'll also have the words up on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 3, this is what Paul says. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Man, I just love the way that this invitation to adventure starts off. Paul says, join with me in suffering. In suffering. I mean, how can we as manly men turn down an invitation like that, right? Come on, it's going to be tough. Let's go. See, Christianity lived out properly is not for wimps. It's not for the faint of heart. So, in this letter we see Paul talks about the fact that, um, that we need to be a good soldier. And he says, we will suffer. We will suffer. We're athletes competing for the prize. We're hardworking farmers looking to bring in the crops. So, men, reflect on this. Christian living is not for the faint of heart. In Matthew's gospel, we're introduced to a Roman centurion... He comes to Jesus asking for help in healing a servant of his who is obviously not doing so well. And Jesus says, mm, okay, you want me to come to your house? And check out the centurion's response. He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus is amazed at this man's faith. He's amazed because this Roman centurion gets it. He's willing to submit to the authority of Jesus and manly men will live their lives that way. So, what are you supposed to do with all this? Well, the simple but not easy answer is obvious. We must follow the commandments of Christ. We've got to follow the commands of Christ. Live in a manner that shows obedience. Jesus invites you to a great adventure. Not easy perhaps even filled with peril, but oh, so worth it. So what is it that Jesus commands us to do? Well, someone once asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Here's Jesus' response found in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the guy who asked him the original question then was like, okay, I, I got this, but who's my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to tell a, a very well-known story 
um, that we kind of give the title of the Good Samaritan. Now, you've got to understand, in first century uh, Jewish ears, the very word Samaritan would cause you to recoil. They were deep, dark enemies of the Samaritans. I mean, a good Jewish man would, if he's walking down the sidewalk and a Samaritan's coming the other way, he'd cross over across the street, get on the other side. He ain't walking next to that Samaritan. A good Jewish man, if he was traveling from Nazareth to Galilee, would go around Samaria. He would take the a, a long way around. So he didn't even have to travel through the country. So for us today, if you, if you want to get a little better idea of the kind of impact that a story like this was having, you, you might say uh, in America today, he, Jesus might say something like, okay, you want to know who your neighbor is? Well, it's the folks of ISIS. That's, that's the Taliban. Now, it's not that Samaritans were necessarily terrorists, but they were enemies of the Jews. They didn't get along in any way, shape, or form. The point was, Jesus said, your neighbor is everybody. That's who you're supposed to love. Everybody. Not for the faint of heart. Not for the faint of heart. And our commanding officer then lays out a battle plan for how we're supposed to be living. That's found in the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's all there in the Greek means all. It means everywhere. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Man. May we have the faith of the Roman centurion and follow the orders of our commanding officer, Jesus, to love God, love people, and serve others. You see, Jesus has called us to a great adventure. It's not for the faint of heart. We are to be soldiers under authority. And then we see in our text that we are to be an athlete. We're to run the race, and we're to remember it's a marathon. This is a lifelong pursuit, and real men have the desire to live out their faith as Paul has expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So how do we train for this race? By obeying Christ and serving Him daily. By loving people daily. Kent Evans tells a story of a committee that he served on that examined for recommendation men uh, to be ordained in Christian ministry. While most of the men coming before this committee were younger, Kent uh, is blown away by one particular candidate by the name of Dr. Tom McKechnie. Tom McKechnie was an ER physician, 
close to retirement age, and an empty nester, Dr. McKechnie came to Christ later in life. Let me read a portion of Kent's interaction with Dr. McKechnie, again from the book Wise Guys. In the year leading up to our discussion, he'd been on a dozen international mission trips, leading groups to help establish medical clinics in the name of Christ. This was no typical candidate for ministry. God was already touching people in great numbers through his life and work. We often ask candidates to describe how they were balancing their ministry work with their responsibilities at home. Dr. McKechnie had a godly and faithful wife who ran a superb home while he was gone, either during his long ER shifts at the hospital or as he traveled overseas. Even so, Kent writes, I felt the need to dig a bit. So at one point in the interview, I asked, Dr. McKechnie, you clearly have jumped into Christian service with both feet. That's inspiring for me. With all your international travel and your responsibilities at work, do you ever wonder if your family time is suffering? Dr. McKechnie's response was unforgettable. His choice of words and attitude were impressive. Kent, that's a fair question, he smiled. I spent many years running from the Lord and working against him. I'd like to take whatever remaining time I have on this earth and serve him with all my heart. I want to find myself sprinting into heaven. Did you catch those last three words? Did they catch you? Men, many of you have labored for the Lord for decades. Some have, like Dr. McKechnie, labored against the Lord. But none of us, nobody, should be content to now sit back and let others do the work. There are men who can use your wisdom as you pour into them in a mentoring situation. There are ministry areas that are in need of you, men. Back in the spring, Steve Jones was doing the Serve Others sermon series, and James Bender came up to me and said, man, I want to get plugged in. What can I do? James attends the 830 service. James is 92 years old. He doesn't drive after dark. He knows there are certain physical limitations. I mean, he's 92 for crying out loud. So I said, James, I know of a, of a need that you could fill. He's like, I'm on it. So when you get that blue communication card out of the seat back in front of you and fill it out, just know that every week James Bender comes right in this room and he replenishes the blue communication cards, the offering envelopes, and pens in the seat backs in front of you. So you can thank James Bender, who, by the way, was not asking for thanks. In fact, I was speaking with somebody in between the last two services, and they said, man, I, I sit with James all the time, and he's never once told me that he's doing that because that's the kind of guy James is. He's just seeing a need and filling it. And men, you can do that too. Now, I know some of you may be going, yeah, but, but I, don't, I don't really know. What, what should I do? Well, you could be like James and, and come see me after the service. I'll point you in a direction and see if it's something that would, would fit with your gift set. Oh, I almost forgot. Here's one for everybody. This coming Saturday, we have a work day here at the church. We need folks who can help kind of get things spruced up. 
you could do that. What an amazing coincidence that God has worked out for us, right? And listen, we've got a sign-up sheet out front at the Welcome Center desk for you to sign up. And, and we'd like for you, I mean, you can come without signing up. That's great. But we would like for you to sign up because we're going to give some refreshments to those who work. And, you know, we hate to run out. And I think it's pretty much if your name's on the list, you get refreshments. I don't know. I'm not in charge of that. Okay? Maybe you want to sign up twice, you know, make sure you get some refreshments too. But bring your yard tools and come on because there's stuff that can be done. We need your help. So, so there, there's a way you can plug in right now. May each of us desire to sprint into heaven so that we, like Paul, may say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So Paul tells Timothy, you got to be a good soldier, you got to be an athlete, and you got to be this hard-working farmer. In Luke chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, Jesus reminds us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Jesus is the one who is sending us, men. This is no easy mission. This is not for the faint of heart. The mission requires our full devotion and dedication to the one who is sending us. We cannot be content to sit on the sidelines and call ourselves followers of Christ at the same time. And men, you know this instinctively. You know that you are valuable to God. He sent his son Jesus to prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you are called to an adventure. Paul commands Timothy to reflect on this proposition. So men, reflect on Paul's words ringing out to you to join him in suffering for the cause of Christ. I'm going to share several scripture verses that aren't going to be on the screen but if you would like them, you can ask for a manuscript, and they'll be in there. So here we go. Buckle up. Romans 8, 17, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Philippians 3, 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 1 Timothy 1, 8, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And again, from our text for today, 2 Timothy 2, 3, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This adventure is not for the faint of heart. You've been lied to by a culture that wants you to believe that you are not important. Some of you may have even ceded your God-given responsibilities to lead your family or church family. And you can look around at families and churches all across America and see examples of this. So let's buck that trend. Let's turn it around, men. You've been called to the adventure of, of leading. Be prepared to suffer for Christ because Christian living is not for the faint of heart. Rich Mullins, a songwriter and philosopher extraordinaire, once said this, The Bible is not a book for the faint of heart. It is a book full of all the greed and glory and violence and tenderness and sex and betrayal that befits mankind. 
It is not a collection of pretty little antidotes mouthed by pious little church mice. It does not as much nibble as our shoe leather as it cuts to the heart and splits the marrow from the bone. It does not give us answers fitted to our small-minded questions, but truth that goes beyond what we even know to ask. No, Christian living is not for the faint of heart. To live for Christ is to accept the fact that you are valued beyond measure by the creator of the universe. To live for Christ means to unite with him in suffering. To live for Christ is a great adventure to which we have been called, men. We need men to buckle up and not buckle under pressure. Steve Jones, over the next couple of weeks in this Man Church series, is going to give us some examples of, of what the, it's going to look like as we go through these challenges that we call Man Church. So I pray that you will join us for those messages as well. The adventure is before us, guys, and it's not for the faint of heart. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for the call to adventure that you have given us. God, help us to be good soldiers. Help us to be well-trained athletes. Help us to be hard-working farmers. Help us to reflect upon the fact that as we obey you, as we follow you, that there will be suffering. But we can handle it because you are with us every step of the way. We ask this all in the precious and holy and wonderful and awesome name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen.